There's an interesting connection between the history of ghost towns and the sport of boxing. Welcome to part two, Ghost Towns and Boxing. Let's uncover some more forgotten stories from the past, exploring a town that hosted a championship fight and a town where a legendary fighter lived and walked the streets, trained and fought his way to boxing legend. Hello and welcome to another Midwest Ghost Town podcast. My name is Dan Klein and I'm your host, your history enthusiast, and your ghost town abandoned history adventurer. And like we say on this channel, let's keep history alive. And one way we can certainly do that is by talking about it, making this podcast, and of course, videos as well. One story that has popped up several times while doing research on some of America's ghost towns is the story of mining towns, oil fields, and lumberjack camps. Many abandoned now, but not the stories of some of the activities that entertained or provided a little side hustle cash for some of the miners and workers. And that's the story of boxing. Yes, boxing. A sport that was either tolerated or banned in certain cities or states between 1895 and 1919. In part one, which if you haven't had a chance, I encourage you to go back, give it a quick listen, I cover the story of Gold Ridge, Nevada, which is a living ghost town that hosted one of boxing's legendary fights known as the Longest Fight. A match that went on for a whopping 34 rounds and showcased the fight between the legendary lightweight champion Joe Gans, the first African-American champion, versus Battling Nelson, a fighter known for his vicious attacking style and dirty cheap shots. Boxing was a sport that even though illegal in most states still found a role in a lot of mining and oil boom in bus towns. So to have a violent sport such as boxing presented to them was a way of life in the shadows, and sometimes blatantly right out in the open. Part 2 starts off with the story of the ghost town, Boozenbark, Ohio. August 31st, 1867. Over 3,000 people flooded into the small town of Boozenbark to witness the world championship fight between 190-pound American champ Mike McCool and 175-pound English champ Aaron Jones. It was a bare-knuckled fight held on the farm of William Richter that drew people from all around the country. With train after train pulling into the rural train stations with trains pulling as many as 30 cars deep, packed full of fans ready to watch the match, reporters came as far as New York, Philadelphia, and Boston. Each boxer laid their assault hitting each other with blood flowing. But as one started to land their punches, the other would return the punching back. Until finally in the 34th round, McCool hit Jones square, knocking him back and crashing through the ringside ropes and falling to the ground. A knockout soon followed and the crowd roared with excitement as McCool was named world champion, receiving the $2,500 prize. The fight was over. But McCool was cocky and ambitious, wanting to prove to the crowd how much strength he had left. And so, he went on to jump a six-rail fence. But Jones was left battered with two broken ribs, a concussion, and internal bleeding that would ultimately claim his life two weeks later in a Cincinnati hospital. Today you can visit the site as a historical marker marks the spot in Butler County, at the intersection of Hamilton Trenton Road and Boozenbark Road. Another famous person ties itself to that ghost town as Dr. Charles Richter, the developer of the Richter Scale. 
and measuring the magnitude of earthquakes, which was all born on a farm one mile outside of Muzenbark, Ohio. Eventually, the railroad disappeared between 1914 and 1916, and the very same railroad that brought thousands of spectators to watch the World Championship fight back in 1867. And as time passed, so did the town, with the school closing in 1937 and all services ending in 1939. And Busenbark faded into history. All that remains today of the town is Busenbark Road and the Richter Farm, indicated by a historical marker. Stories like Busenbark are common ones with Midwest ghost towns. You know, just the other day, I was traveling down to a ghost town here in Clay County, Iowa, called Douglas Center. And I was amazed because as I was doing research, I found that there was this Welsh immigration that kind of happened in our area. And actually, it wasn't even just in Clay County. It happened all over the state of Iowa. So as I was getting footage, and I hope to have this video coming out shortly, I think you'll enjoy it as you kind of see, I ran into a Welsh pioneer cemetery. And it was amazing as I was walking through this pioneer cemetery, I could kind of feel not only just the the presence of where the town would be. I had a layout of a map of where the school was, and I kind of showed that as well. But I also was amazed because not too far down the road was another cemetery, the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist Cemetery, which I thought was a pretty interesting combination. And you know, the other thing that really kind of stuck out was sometimes all that is left when you're looking for these ghost towns, especially in the Midwest, is a field. And sometimes all that is left that really tells the story are the cemeteries. And that often bear the names of the abandoned towns that faded into history. Part two continues right after this as we tell the story of boxing legend George Henry Levine, or better known as the Saginaw Kid. Hey there, Dan here with Midwest Ghost Town. I just want to take a quick minute. Thank everyone for following along, listening, or viewing the podcast. Also checking out any of the videos here on the channel. Your support is appreciated. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe, and if you like this type of content, consider subscribing. But if not, it's all good. I still love having you along on the journey. We believe in having a discussion about history on this channel. And so if you have anything to add or take away from any of the episodes, feel free to drop a comment, like, or even dislike, because we feel the best way to learn about history is to have an open discussion. That means a fully interactive community, and that's how we keep the discussion of history out in the open. And by doing so, as we say on this channel, let's keep history alive. Melbourne, Michigan, a once thriving sawmill town along the Saginaw River, which used to lie somewhere between Bay City, Michigan and Saginaw, Michigan, once boasted the title of being not only the largest sawmill in Michigan at the time, but as one of the largest in the world. The town name itself originated from Australia as the founder, Wellington Burt, had recently visited the country and was so enamored by Australia that he wanted to keep a little piece of it with him. He loved the city of Melbourne so much and so he named the town after the Australian city. Along with the sawmill, Melbourne had a shingle mill, barrel works, a salt processing plant, 50 houses, a library and a school, but in 1877, the town suffered from a devastating fire, and Burt did not want to rebuild the mill. Other accounts tell the story of other investors from Detroit rebuilding the mill, the barrel plant, and salt works. 
the town continued to thrive until another fire came in 1894. With the lumber industry slowing down, mainly because most of the white pine were gone from heavy logging at the time, the company sold the remaining company houses to the workers for a few dollars each, if they wanted to move them to nearby Zilwaukee. There is nothing left of Melbourne, Michigan today. But for the sake of the connection between ghost towns and boxing, there is a story that links the two together. Mainly due to one of its past residents, legendary boxer George the Kid Levine. The lumber industry was a way of life in Michigan, and it was no different for the Melbourne area, where logging camps sprung up and people would come and go between Melbourne and other logging camps in Zilwaukee. And this is where the story of Kid Levine came to be. Born in Bay City in 1869, Levine's family moved to the Saginaw area where he was around 10 years old. Growing up around logging, he learned to fight bare knuckle with the other loggers. Loggers from all around would travel to Saginaw to fight in big matches. The top boxers in other logging camps and Levine would practice on these loggers. And it proved to be an interesting time where bare knuckle boxing began to cross over to gloved boxing. By the time he was 17, Saginaw Kid became a professional boxer, undefeated with 32 wins, 11 draws, and 10 no decisions over a span of 12 and a half years throughout the 1890s. He didn't register a single loss. The Kid Levine was a creation of his lumberjack upbringing, learning to fight bare knuckle and more fighter than boxer. He wasn't there to simply win. He was there to completely destroy, which is precisely what happened December of 1894. The kid had an opportunity to fight lightweight champion of the South, Andy Bowen, who was known to have boxed in the longest match, which was a 110 round, seven hour and 19 minute fight. So Bowen was not only familiar with long marathon like boxing matches, but he was the recognized champion. And this was a motivation enough for Levine, who pummeled Bowen, punch after punch. And in the 18th round, the kid punched Bowen so hard that he knocked him down, leaving Bowen to hit his head on the unpadded corner of the ring, knocking him out. He never regained consciousness and died at 7 a.m. the next morning. This is where the story takes an interesting twist. The police come and arrest Levine for murder. Now, can you imagine being an athlete back in the day and you are doing what you do, out there being an athlete, and boom, guy dies during the match, but you're the guilty party because it was your glove that punched his lights out. Your glove that sent him flying backwards, hitting his head. Your glove that ultimately killed the former champion. Of course, the rest of the story plays out Levine was later released and found innocent from any wrongdoing. It was later ruled that Bowen's death was a result of hitting his head on the floor of the ring. After the match, he was named the champion, but found it harder to get more matches in his own weight. But finally, matched with Barbados Joe Walcott, the Barbados Demon. Few men could go head-to-head -head with Walcott, the great Barbados Demon in a straight punching battle, but Levine did just that and joined the Barbados Demon along with a few other fighters to be feared. 
Levine stood toe-to-toe with Walcott through the, some of the most brutal exchanges. One writer would later comment that Demon had been out-demoned. The pace of the fight was astonishing, and the punishment even worse, as the ring was stained crimson from the blood of both men, and the Saginaw Kid would later inherit the cauliflower ear, a little memento from the Barbados Demon. The story of Levine is a fascinating tale of strength and brutality. In the early days of boxing, he would later go on and started slipping in the ring later, gradually losing fights. And after another knockout from boxer Jimmy Britt, he sailed to France and started to teach boxing instead in Paris for three years, eventually coming back. But after a few more fights, finally retired after losing his last match to fighting Dick Nelson in 1909 and closing out the rest of his working life, working for Harry Bennett under Henry Ford of the Ford Motor Company as a member of the Strong Arm Squad. Now, the Strong Arm Squad is really another tale for another podcast because there is a lot to unpackage with that story surrounding Henry Ford and his little army of rough fighters, his little security detail, as I like to call that, that was more like a rough-em-up sort and begging a rough Michigan kid who understood the art of brawling was right up Levine's alley. But we are here to tell more about ghost towns, and we have one last one to share. I think you'll find this one and its connection to boxing worthy of its story right after this. Hey there, Dan Klein here with Midwest Ghost Town again. I hope you find stories like this valuable and interesting. Ghost towns and abandoned history have an endless timepiece of stories, whether linked to the characters that live there or the stories and history of the towns themselves. We have plenty more adventures around the corner, but I'm always open to places and stories that you might have. Feel free to drop a comment, share away. I'd love to explore, research, and learn more. Just another part of keeping history alive. So the last ghost town that we're talking about in this series finds itself along the Missouri River in the state of Nebraska. So all you Cornhusker fans waving the flag with the big red N and cheering, Go Big Red! can have a big thumbs up because your first boxing champion hailed from the town of Rock Bluff, Nebraska. A town that's only remembered by the old brick school building that once housed the Naomi Institute and the Rock Bluff Cemetery. And that boxer was welterweight champion Perry Ivan Graves, or better known as Kid Graves. Small size at 5'7 and 125 pounds, but mighty in his fighting ability. Kid Graves was fast, smart, and a sharp, quick puncher. He fought many of the top boxers of the time, including Jack Britton, the same champion who beat the Saginaw Kid, and Joe Gans, who we shared the story about in our first episode down in Goldfield, Nevada. Kid Graves' boxing career lasted about 15 years. He served in both World War I and World War II, and he worked at the Martin plant, south of Omaha, Nebraska, working on bombers. Living out the rest of his life in the area and passing away at the age of 71 on July 24, 1963, and buried today at the Ghost Town Cemetery in Rock Bluff, Nebraska. Rock Bluff, of course, is a truly interesting ghost town in Nebraska. If you get the chance to explore the area near Plattsmouth, Nebraska, it was considered one of the most liveliest river towns on the Missouri, north of Joplin, Missouri, and before it became extinct, was really a town that had many curveballs handed to it, dealing with epidemics of malaria and typhoid fever and two unsolved mysteries haunting its history. 
It was a shining star historically, though, before it all came crashing down. Steamboats fueled the traffic, which began to grow with a population near 500 around 1865. And this was right around the time where settlers were starting to migrate westward and would ferry across the Missouri and ride their wagons into town, stopping at stores, stocking up on supplies before continuing their journey west. By 1870, the town had a post office, a college, drugstore, blacksmith, a couple sawmills, flour mill, a brickyard, two churches, and a baseball team. Of course, like many Midwest ghost towns, Rock Bluff was doomed when the railroad, the Chicago and Northwestern, bypassed the town, building its railroad bridge and Plattsmith instead. By 1900, the population had fallen to around 50 people. Of course, it was an unsolved murder of two citizens in 1910 that really closed the door on Rock's Bluff. 74-year-old Ned Shera was found dead, robbed, and shot in the back of the head. The cold case was almost forgotten until a young surveyor named Fred Patterson started to convince others 21 years after the crime that he knew who the murderer was. But before he could reveal who the criminal was, he was also shot in the back of the head and died. And there wasn't enough evidence to convict. So, ghost towns, boxing. It's an interesting connection with stories that fit the time period. Entertainment was at a premium. People were looking for ways to distract them from their hardships, their hard livings, often brushing against death, like mining, logging, working in oil fields. It was a life of saloons, gambling, and of course, bare-knuckle boxing. And glove boxing soon to follow. Some of the stories in both episodes followed a boxer who might have just been born in one of the ghost towns. But of course, we have stories where famous fights took place, like Goldfield, Nevada, and Boozenbark, Ohio. Fighters like Joe Gans, Battling Nelson, George Levine, the Saginaw Kid, and of course, last but not least, Perry, the Kid, Graves. In the ring, boxers embody courage, fight, and determination. They stand toe-to-toe with other fighters, often with the same mentality. Ghost towns come into the same story, and sometimes these stories are parallel, both facing triumph and tragedy, dreams realized and dreams lost, fighters rising up to be champion, and with time lost in the defeat of a knockout, ghost towns rising up as a boomtown, and with time lost in the defeat of a bust town. Population zero. Through this two-part series, we've connected a few dots between ghost towns and boxing, and the stories in between. We know we missed a story or two, and look forward to hearing which ones you might have to add, because we like to always say on this channel, we feel that history is an ongoing discussion. Learning together. So let's keep history alive. This is Midwest Ghost Town.